Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin? Yes? What do you think about that? I think that's great. I think it's funny that we're always laughing in the intro because it's usually the second or third time and we're laughing at the first two times. Yeah, but this time it's also going to be not just about Star Wars. It's going to be about relationships too. Yes, it is. More about relationships probably than any other episode we've ever had. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we've kind of glossed over in all of our analysis of previous media is that there are a ton of romantic relationships. It's just they get, you know, kind of cast to the shadows because they're not the most important things, except for a handful of relationships, which really are. But this time, since we're just going to focus on those relationships, we'll be able to see quite a few of them. And, you know, if we forget any, we'll try to circle back up and hit them next time we do this. But, um, you know, as far as relationships for us go, uh, you know, you're my only relationship, really, like, as far as I know, um, you know. <laughs> what, cur- what currently, as far as you know? No, no. I, I mean, like, I, I don't think you could count, you know, uh, eighth grade, you know, going to the library twice. You know, that that's not really a relationship, I don't think. Yeah, not really. That doesn't count. Yeah. So, but, you know, it is a romantic relationship with significance and meaning. You're, you're it. So... Everything that I see in Star Wars content, I compare uh, naturally to your and my relationship because that's all I know of it. You've had a couple more relationships besides me, but would you say that you typically would compare what you see on screen in Star Wars to what we have or to other Star Wars characters? Uh, Probably more to what we have. I mean, this is like you and you and I are the, the benchmark by which I measure relationships, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I dated a couple people before you, but nothing, nothing nearly as significant or serious. You weren't married to them? No, no, (laughs) no, none of them. Well, if we're going to do a real quick shout out before we get into it, though, uh, your parents, I I think they've got a speed here a little more significant. Um, celebrating 46 years today. Yep. Yeah. Today's their 46th wedding anniversary and, uh, happy anniversary to them. And, uh, that's quite an achievement, really. Oh, most certainly. And we will not see anything like it in the Star Wars universe. And we hardly, unfortunately, see it in our universe. But it, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm really happy to be a part of your family. Yeah. Aw. I love you. I know. Yeah. Just one one other shout out. It is probably one of the strangest wedding anniversaries in this whole COVID thing. They couldn't go out. They couldn't do anything. I think my dad's bringing back like sandwiches or something because the only place that's that's open is a sandwich shop. But uh Still, it's great for them to to make it that far and uh, hope hope for another 46 form. Absolutely. All right. So let's start. We've got basically two kind of relationships. We've got the canon relationships and the legends relationships. Um, so I, I think let's start with canon. And if there's a legends relationship that you kind of want to get into, we'll, we'll go that way. But, you know, l- let's try to stay canon today. All right. All right, so the first and probably most significant, if not the worst, is Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala. Yeah, I mean, it's an important one to the story, and we've talked a little bit about it as we talked about, you know, various content. Um, it, you know, it is basically 
the impetus for Anakin turning to the dark side, and it's where we get uh, Luke and Leia. But it is um, absolutely the probably the most dysfunctional relationship in basically in both in Star Wars and that I've ever heard of. I mean, when you think about it, just going all the way back to when they met, you know, he was a six or eight year old slave boy, and she was a fourteen year old president of a queen president of a planet for some reason and they immediately have some kind of attraction which is a little bit little bit off and then it gets even weirder when they don't see each other for 10 years so he's now 18 she is 24 and they immediate and she says that you know he seems like the same little boy that she knew all those years ago and then they end up you know getting secret married yeah, there are so many things wrong with their relationship. Um, besides the fact that he's got serious anger management problems and she's just like, oh, as long as I'm here for you, it'll be okay. But then it's like, you're not really addressing the problems. You're just putting Band-Aids on it. So that just leads to, you know, further murderous outbreaks. And just, you know, then they have their whole like lying and deceit from each other. They've got a very unhealthy marriage where they hardly ever see each other. Um and he's out fighting in the Clone Wars. She's being a politician. They come together periodically, but they also keep a ton of secrets from each other. And they tend to be fighting not on the same side uh, for the Republic, but, you know, he's pro-war and she's pro-diplomacy. And the Venn diagram of that uh, political agenda doesn't really work out very well. And they find themselves at odds. He's super jealous of her past relationships. Um, and he shouldn't be because it would have been wrong for her to have been really into him when he was just a little boy. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole thing sort of culminates with, first of all, she gets pregnant and doesn't tell him until the the way that I see the, the, the sequence of events up to maybe as close to like a couple weeks before she gives birth, right, is when she tells him. And then... Um, in in their very last encounter, he accuses her of being like turning on him. He force chokes her while she's pregnant with twins uh, until she loses consciousness. And then she dies of a broken heart during childbirth. It's just it's it's bad from start to finish. Yeah. And in no way are we making light of domestic violence here. But that's just ridiculous. I, I don't understand that, you know, like I, I just where he goes in his head that that's just, you know, completely acceptable. It, it just it doesn't track with hopefully any of the other relationships we're going to discuss, but also doesn't track with what we view to be healthy. Um, we, we know that this is unfortunately something that happens in the real world, but, you know, not so much with force joking, but you guys know what I mean. Um, but the other last bit of this is that Anakin is forbidden from having relationships and attachments. He's encouraged to love and be compassionate as part of the Jedi way, but he's forbidden from having attachments and relationships. And the fact that he knows that and he goes against that anyway and thinks he can have his cake and eat it too, you know, just it sets him up for a really unhealthy direction. And I, I think that Padme shouldn't have given him an ultimatum, but I think maybe that would have been for the best. Um, whereas I, I think, you know, and we'll talk about, uh, another Jedi relationship shortly, but, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, you, you make the choice, you either continue the relationship and leave the order or you leave the relationship and maybe you still have those feelings, but you leave it behind and you stay within the order. Yeah. So I would say, uh, of relationships to emulate, uh, 
zero out of stars and don't be like those two. No, there is nothing that they have in their relationship that any healthy relationship should try to emulate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the absolute worst one, we got out of the way. We, yeah. we ate the frog. All there right. Let's get into it. Uh, with another Jedi relationship with Obi-Wan and Satine, this is what should have happened. Yeah. So just to set some background, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course, is our favorite Jedi master. And Satine is the Duchess of Mandalore during the Clone Wars. So she's basically the leader of Mandalore. And sometime during their past, when Obi-Wan was a Padawan, uh, Obi-Wan and his master Qui-Gon were sent to Mandalore to protect Satine. And they spent, it sounds like maybe up to months together, uh, sort of guarding her. And Obi-Wan and Satine developed uh, some romantic feelings for each other. And that sort of persisted through the rest of her life. Right. And I think the feelings were very, very strong. Uh, There was likely a physical element to their relationship as well. Um, because when they're reunited in the Clone Wars, so we never actually saw their relationship, so we don't know if anything was healthy about it or not. But at one point, Satine, you know, says, you know, I I wish you had stayed. And Obi-Wan said, I would have stayed if you had asked me to. It it does point to one of the problematic aspects of many of the relationships that we see both in a galaxy far, far away and in, you know, today's galaxy here and now. Um, is that people lie to each other and they they don't say what they're thinking they don't say what they're feeling and that is a problem i I mean maybe it would have been less good for the force if obi-wan hadn't been out there because who's going to kill darth maul and who's going to do all these other things maybe someone else would have who only knows butterfly effect situation but you know he he could have just settled down quietly and not screwed up anakin's training Yeah, that's true. I'm not a big fan of like sort of ultimatum based relationships either where or or the sort of putting the blame that it's a it's a trope in a lot of media. But that whole I would have done it if you would only ask me to really takes sort of puts an undue amount of responsibility. And usually it's a man putting it on a woman um, to say, well, you know, this this didn't work out because you you didn't do something that would have made me do something else. And and that feels like, a you know, a lack of of responsibility and agency. But in this case, that was he basically said he would have left the Jedi Order, but he chose not to. And he put his feelings aside. Um, And, you know, at the point that she died, um, she said that she would always love him. And he definitely took that death pretty hard. He really did. It, it it had a profound impact on him, which means that he was able to continue those feelings without continuing the attachment, which is kind of what would have been the right thing to have happen yeah, for Anakin. For sure. Absolutely. So. Yep. So now let's uh, talk about, you know, kind of the original trilogy relationship that I think we're very fond of, the Han and Leia relationship. Yeah. I mean, Han and Leia is the, is the you know, sort of the, the best, I think is the best love story in Star Wars, um, right? It was, you know, it starts out and, and they're, you know, very much from different worlds and, you know, kind of antagonistic toward each other, but eventually they come to appreciate each other. They're actually really good compliments to each other. Um, you know, Han has a lot of, you know, his bravado and everything. Leia is smart and cool under pressure. And together they make a really good team. Um, and, you know, they're one of the relationships that lasts a pretty long time through some really tumultuous times, right? I mean, they, you know, and and in the in the movie canon, they 
um, you know, they stay together long enough to have a son, their son grows up, um, and then they break up when, when, you know, Ben turns to the dark side, but having your, uh, your, you know, your child basically become the leader of a, um, violent revolution against your government that you created, yeah, maybe too much for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. I mean, even the best relationships are going to be more than strained under that. So, yeah. But I, I think Han and Leia, you're right. It may be trite in certain parts. You know, at, at first they don't like each other, then they like each other, then they fight, then they get together, and then they're super sweet. But no, they, they really are good compliments in general. Uh, they, they bring the different backgrounds, as you mentioned. Um, and I, I think just, you know, it's fun to watch. It's, you know, every, every girl wants to grow up and be Princess Leia. And, you know, find her Han Solo. She, she wants to grow up and, and see that as, you know, a possibility that the bad boy will become good for her. Yeah. So. Yep. That's, yeah, that's a thing. And, you know, and of course, that relationship is where we got our title. That it is. And I think the other thing, and we've shouted him out many times, John Williams' music that accompanies their love. Uh, throughout the original trilogy it's very sweet and it just you know anytime you hear that you think of a relationship yeah yep so uh do you want to uh talk about uh, han's first girlfriend sure yeah this one didn't go quite as well um so han's first girl uh that we know of anyway is kira and uh, Kira and Han grew up on Corellia together. They were both um, like runaway children um, working for uh, a minor crime boss named Lady Proxima. And, you know, they were clearly um, a, like a duo r romantic and, and also sort of, you know, scheming together. And they made plans to leave Corellia together and got separated during their escape of, of Corellia and then found themselves uh, back together in adventures, uh, you know, a decade or so later, um, with a lot of growth on, well, Kira had a lot of growth and change, Han, not so much. And it becomes sort of the opposite of the Han and Leia story in that, you know, he, his pursuit ends up on, uh, unrequited. Right. And I think this is kind of where we were talking with Han and Leia, different backgrounds that came together with, Kira and Han, they've got the same background and they are together and then it's their growing apart that really is why they can't stay together. And Kira, she actually, it's not that she meets someone new, she meets power. And that's, that's why she leaves Han. She leaves Han because she wants power. And I, I think one of the things that we learn about Han is he doesn't want power, he wants freedom, which is why he continues throughout his adventures with our good buddy Chewbacca. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um and so yeah, Kira Kira is a really interesting case, but yeah, it's it's basically it burns hot, it burns fast. Um and Han ultimately doesn't get what he wants. Kira does get what she wants, and then he Han moves on with his life and uh goes into smuggling. Cool. Yeah, presumably we'll learn more about Kira, I hope, as to what her adventures brought after that, but we'll see. Yeah, she may turn up again. Um, yeah. yeah, she may. Um, I, I assume she's got an unfortunate demise at some point. Yeah, you've got to figure. I mean, she basically traded Han for uh, working for directly for Maul. And um, I feel like Maul doesn't quite have the same uh, 
you know, tendency is like Darth Vader to execute his subordinates for minor transgressions. But I also don't think that uh, working for Maul at the head of a crime organization is a recipe for a long life. No, most certainly not. Um, so going back to our good buddy Chewbacca, he apparently not good at relationships here. No, Chewbacca's probably, I would almost say Chewbacca and his relationships may be the, the second worst in that, you know, Anakin and Padme, we, we did a number on them. Chewbacca evidently um, has a wife and a child that are only seen in the ill-fated uh, holiday special, which is still technically canon. And the holiday special, which is the only piece of Star Wars content outside of the show Resistance that I've been unable to watch end to end, and not because I wasn't able to find it. I tried to watch it. I couldn't get through the whole thing. But the holiday special is about Chewbacca getting back to his family for Life Day, which is effectively Christmas and Kashyyyk. And you're introduced to his wife and his son. His wife's name is Mala? Mala Tabuko? Malatabuk something, and his son's name is Lumpururu, and goes by Lumpy. You also meet his parents or her parents or something. Anyway, they're all living on Kashyyyk, and Han and Chewie are trying to escape the Empire and get back home for Christmas, I guess. Um, but that's basically the only time that you see his family. So he basically, at some point, between the time that he like escaped the Empire in Solo and he joined the rebellion in A New Hope. He went home, married Mala, had a kid, never sees them. No, I got the feeling that he was taken from his family on Kashyyyk which, and imprisoned by the Empire. Or maybe he was fighting, um, you know, in some way. But he was taken from his family because we meet him and he's, what, 180, 190 years old. He's been around the block. I'd, I think he abandoned his family earlier. And that his little boy Lumpy just ages a little bit more slowly. Well, I mean, Lumpy, I th- again, I haven't seen the whole <laughs> thing, but I think Lumpy's like a teenager or something in... Like uh, little baby Yoda's 50. Fair enough, right? And so I guess what appears to be a teenage Wookiee could be 30 or 40. But still, like, he, that all notwithstanding, maybe he was taken from his family, fine. But he never, like, finds an opportunity to go back home and see them. No, he'd much rather run Spice with Han across the galaxy. Yeah, and I mean, I know that he has a Wookiee life debt and he has an obligation to protect Han Solo and and whatever, right? But at the same time, like, at no point did he, like, I'm sure, because Han's a softy, right? I'm sure that if he was like, hey, buddy, by the way, I've got a wife and kid back on Kashyyyk. Could we just, like, could we pop by for a visit? They have a spaceship. Like, they could go. It's not hard, right? Kashyyyk was a free planet basically the whole time that those two guys were together, right? And so, but, like, Apparently nowhere in and like and this is in canon in legends at no point like it's mentioned that his family exists, but at no point does he really make a concerted effort to go home and see them. He is much more interested and like Chewie is a pretty noble dude and like one of my favorite characters and everything, but it is pretty wild that he just has no interest in taking care of his family. No, I mean, he's a stereotypical deadbeat dad that says he's going to run down to the convenience store and get some ice cream or buy a pack of smokes or whatever <laughs> the case may be. And he never comes back. That's right. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, look, he does some pretty great things when he's off getting his scratchers, but at the same time, um, not a great, not a great, uh, not a great role model on the family front. 
No, most certainly Great not. Great role model on the co-pilot front and the, you know, various other fronts. The BFF front. Yeah. It's pretty good yeah, there. Yeah. Pretty good there, but not so much uh, your, your, your husband or father that you want to emulate. Right. So let's uh, talk about a couple of other relationships that are maybe not the ones we want to emulate, but are not a deadbeat dad and spouse. Um, So uh, Jar Jar Binks and Queenie, uh, they have this relationship in one episode of The Clone Wars, which we believe was off screen. They had a much longer relationship. And we talked about this this weekend and it really upset me and it, it made me realize that First of all, there's not a lot of diversity in the relationships that we see in Star Wars. But and I think that that's nice that we have a more diverse relationship here. However, Jar Jar is such a doofus that it's really a struggle to enjoy and celebrate his and Queenie's love. Yeah. And just background on the two of them. I forgot even what plan. So Jar Jar, of course, is a Gungan from um, Naboo. Uh, Queenie is the queen of some other planet and she's a similar looking but not the same species um, and she's like the queen of her her planet or whatever and and the episode that we see them in um, the uh, the this planet isn't super trustworthy of they don't trust Jedi very much um, but they're having a problem with their like their elders are disappearing and so the Jedi Council sends Mace Windu and Jar Jar because they said they would only meet with Jar Jar. The original odd couple right there. Yeah, right. And and, and Mace is basically forced to uh, to present as Jar Jar's servant um, and and a Jedi. And, you know, and, and they, they end up solving the mystery <laughs> through some wacky hijinks. But yeah, but it is, uh, it is a surprising relationship because it's very clear from the way that everybody acts and her guards and everybody... And the way that, well, I mean, like basically when they first, they first meet, they're in this council room and then she sends everybody away and the guards all turn and face away and then they start making out in the middle of her throne room. So it's pretty clear that they've got a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and they do some other weird stuff. Well, making out's not weird, I guess, but, but they do Tai Chi together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, th- this is adult content here, but it's a little bit of a weird foreplay scene where they're doing Tai Chi and it just doesn't really track with much of what we see in Clone Wars. But, you know, good for Jar Jar. Good for Queenie. They do love and respect each other. Um, and I guess that's a sign of a healthy relationship, even though it was a little unsettling to watch on screen because Jar Jar's weird. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a good long distance relationship. They, you know, they both have important jobs on other planets and so they don't get to see each other very often, but they make it work good for them. So another couple that makes it work, despite a lot of unpleasant circumstances, we've got Owen and Baru on Tatooine. Yeah, Owen and Baru are probably our most sort of uh, traditional relationship. Um, and, you know, they're just they're they're steady farm folk. Um, they live on Tatooine. Um, you know, they I, I forgot the whole story of I mean, they, they're literally just like they both grew up as moisture farmers. They met in tatooine high school or something they get married they've like there's really nothing of of interest or significance of them other than the fact that um owen is uh owen lars he is the son of Kleeg lars and shmi skywalker is, is no. he shmi so- no he's just Kleeg's son right just yeah Kleeg. he's Kleeg and his and his first wife and so Kleeg lars is the man who marries shmi skywalker which is anakin's mother and frees her 
I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and Owen and Baru are just a, they're just a regular farming couple. And then when, uh, Luke is born, Obi-Wan Kenobi brings him to live with them. The weirdest thing about that, like that whole, and then, so then they adopt Luke and they're great and they raise him and, and they're fantastic. The weirdest thing about that is that their name is Lars and they raise Luke as Skywalker, even though they're trying to hide him and his identity from the Emperor and Anakin Skywalker. They continue to name him Luke Skywalker, even though their last name is not Skywalker. Right. I hadn't put two and two together there. That is foolish if you're trying to hide someone. It's, it's foolish, it's unusual, and it's super unnecessary, right? But yet, that's how they, that's how they chose to play it. <laughs> right. And I guess... So what I was going to say that I thought was very smart in their relationship is when we're introduced to Owen and Baru, uh, Baru is introduced as Owen's girlfriend and they're living together. And I think that was smart. I think when you are going to embark on what is hopefully going to be a long and successful marriage, you should spend a lot of time together, including living together. And it turns out that living in the middle of the desert with your soon-to-be father-in-law, it still worked out. They, they were okay. Yeah. You know who gave me, who actually didn't really give me advice on this because we had already done it by this point, but um, my grandma, my grandma Kirk Merrick, um, after we, we moved in together before we were married, we were living together and we came for, I think for Christmas one year to her house and, um, you know, and it was like, it was sort of like, should we tell the grandparents or not? And somebody, some, I think my sister or something like let it slip and my grandma's like well yeah that's just smart and she's like back in our day we didn't do that and she's like worked out for me my grandma and grandpa were together for over 50 years because i remember throwing their 50th anniversary party but um but she said you know she's like in our day she's like so many people like never never saw each other in their in their homes until after they were married she's like good for you you should live together for a while make sure it works because it doesn't always work <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it, it uh, it's worked out well for us. Um, and up until being assassinated by the uh, Empire, um, it worked out pretty well for Owen and Baru. Uh, you know, I, I guess the one reason why maybe they would continue to call him Skywalker, even though, again, it's foolish if you're trying to hide from the Emperor. But the idea being that maybe it's they wanted to tell Luke a story about his adoption rather than pretend that he was their son. Um, and so, you know, they, they wanted to glorify Luke's father, uh, you know, Commander General Skywalker in the Clone Wars and talk about, you know, what what an amazing pilot he was to give a little boy some kind of hope or whatever uh, growing up and a sense of family and identity, even though he was adopted. Yeah, I mean, he calls them Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, right? So they don't, they don't, they don't pretend to be his actual parents. But again, like Anakin, I would presume that Anakin Skywalker is galactically famous for being like the most famous general of the Clone Wars. So telling him that that's his father feels like, cause, and, and he really doesn't know, he knows that his, because when we first meet Luke, right, he talks about Obi-Wan and, or Ben Kenobi, right? And, and he his he thinks that his father was like some sort of freighter pilot right so like they don't even quite they don't even uh, yeah i just can't i can't explain it i think you've you're onto something where they probably are trying to give him a link to his family and there probably aren't a lot of skywalkers on tatooine so maybe it's it's fairly benign it just it's always struck me as a weird a weird choice that they made uh in terms of they go to a lot of like obi-wan and Owen and Baru go to a lot of effort to hide Luke from the Empire, you would think that changing his name would be like the first thing you would do. But anyway. 
completely agree. Yeah. So, but they are a great they are a great couple. Kleeg's, you know, he's a or I mean, uh, Owen, he's a he's a farm guy, so he's you know he's hard on Luke and disciplined and whatever. And but other than that, they seem like they're uh, they're a good couple. They compromise well, and you know, unfortunately, they they meet a they meet an unfortunate end. Right. And while we're still on Tatooine, we've got uh, Owen's father Kleeg, and he winds up marrying Shmi, so that's Anakin's mother. And that is perhaps a slightly less healthy relationship. So first of all, we've got the whole slavery issue, which we've talked about many times and how it's unfortunately widely condoned within the uh, galaxy far, far away. And so I, I don't in- entirely understand how Kleeg would have encountered the slave and fallen in love with her. Like, if you're a slave, are you allowed to go out on dates? The whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense. So my guess is he saw her, decided to buy her, and then through their relationship freed her, but didn't really free her, just happened to marry her. Uh, yeah, I. the more charitable explanation, you're probably right. The more charitable explanation is, you know, after Anakin was freed, she probably worked in Watto's shop, uh, you know, Kleeg had business in town. He would see her doing whatever it is that she did day to day. You know, she presumably had some job outside of the house because otherwise it would seems like it would be a waste of resources. So she either worked in the shop or she worked somewhere in town. He saw her, found out she was a slave. And, you know, the charitable explanation is he, you know, he bought her in order to marry her and free her. Right. But, you know, it still feels like one of those things like how could she she couldn't really turn that down. So it's still a little predatory and not great. Not great. great. Any story that starts with. So she was a slave and then probably doesn't end well from a relationship standpoint. No, no, it's just it boils down to slavery is bad. And most of the efforts to free slaves throughout our adventures in the galaxy far, far away have not been good enough. Um, you know, and they, they're far too comfortable with having, uh, people as property, but which, you know, again, puts a damaging prospect on many of the relationships. So, you know, let, let's talk about one that we don't know a lot about, uh, Galen Urso and his wife, Lyra. Yeah. So Galen and Urso, uh, Galen and Lyra seem like another relatively, they're just sort of a relatively standard, stable marriage. We don't know a lot about what, um, uh, Lyra did or whatever other than she was feisty and uh, she was a bit of a troublemaker she asked a lot of questions she pushed back uh, director Krennic so just background on and just in case anybody forgot who who these two were these are um, in Rogue One this is uh, Jen Erso's parents um, and Galen worked as a weapons designer for the Empire uh, until he realized what they were trying to build in the Death Star and he gave up his commission and went into hiding Lyra is his wife, evidently a homemaker and a, a, a little bit of a troublemaker. And Director Krennic, who is the Imperial Director of the Death Star Project, um, you know, didn't really like Lyra very much because she asked too many questions, but was willing to kidnap her and hold her uh, for ransom to get Galen to work on on his project. And they seem like they were, you know, they were, they, it, it seems like they grew up as, you know, like your, st- your typical middle-class white collar workers. He was a scientist. She was his wife. They had a kid. They were working, you know, like a normal research job, building a planet killing laser. Cool. Um, and then, and then he decided to take them into hiding and, you know, then they became farmers or something on some random planet. And so, you know, 
pretty standard relationship. Uh, she went to her death defending him and trying to defend her family, which was both foolish but noble, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, they certainly seemed to love each other. Uh, they seemed to believe in doing the right thing. And they seemed to love their, their daughter. So, I, I mean, in the whole of the relationships that we've touched on thus far, they're probably on the side of healthier, not necessarily great, but healthier versus, you know, whatever we want to call it, Anakin and Padme. Yeah. I mean, the like, probably the weirdest part of their relationship was that she was friends with Saw Gerrera and that they had a, like, a hiding place outside their property for their, presumably for Lyra and uh, Jin to hide in, even though Lyra chose not to, if the Empire ever turned up so that they could get rescued by an extremist terrorist, uh, which Jin was, and then she was trained to be part of his, like, cadre of uh, terrorist fighters. So, you know... Maybe not the most, you know, typical career path for the child, I guess. But uh, otherwise, they seem like a pretty healthy couple. Yeah, up until they weren't. So, well, yeah. 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 Um, so unhealthy couple here. Uh, it just, it really skeeves me out. Not quite as much as Jar Jar and Queenie. But it's, no, maybe more, actually. Uh, ben and Ray. Yeah, I don't have a lot of good things to say about Ben Ray. Um, you know, it's very, this is Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren and Ray. Uh, and, and I think that's the, like, the probably, there's, there's two really creepy parts of it, right? The one is, you know, their minds are linked and, um, you know, Ray grew up and, on, as a scavenger alone as an orphan, virtual orphan on a desert planet. So she has very little like contact with the with the real world and ben kylo you know sort of grew up with a stable family and then went to jedi school and then turned to the dark side and runs the first order and like he's got you know he's pretty worldly and when their minds link he gets very um you know very uh aggressive and like you know you want to kind of language out of him hey baby if you loved me you would yeah. like just really bad stuff yeah like very very creepy like you know um i don't know if i can say this on our pads but like you know like douchey douchey white guy stuff right and and you know and she sort of resists it but then sort of doesn't because she's never really been appreciated by anybody so she's got a whole complex and then the fact that she basically says that she fell in love with Ben Solo, not Kylo. And then she kills Kylo to get Ben back. And then they end up like kissing at their death. And then he died. Like, oh, oh, there's just a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. And none of it is healthy. It's a brain pretzel and it's terrible. Um, I, I just think like he tries to manipulate her into having some kind of relationship she wants to be manipulated for lack of attention and familial ties. And she'll take, you know, a romantic, intimate attachment over finding out who her family is. You know, like she'll take either or. She she doesn't really care. And that's not great. And here she's been presented with other relatively young men that she could have had relationships with be it uh, Poe Dameron or, or Finn, but neither of those quite make the cut. They wind up being, you know, best friends for her, which are totally fine, totally fine. Um, 
but I think those would have been healthier relationships. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's a lot wrong with this. And and I, you know, I actually like um Rise of Skywalker as a movie quite a bit. Um I've said before when we talked about it, my favorite part is that uh Ben Solo gets to die twice and that's delightful to me. Uh, because his character bothers me quite a bit. But I did feel like their final kiss was unnecessary and it really it gave some legitimacy to this sort of up to that point, um, you know, kind of an, an illegitimate, creepy relationship that was sort of acknowledged as wrong and not really fully, you know, it didn't fully develop. I felt like that moment was both unnecessary and also unnerving. And it was probably best off for both of them that one of them ended up dead so that they could not continue that relationship. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, When you're rooting for a relationship to end or to never have happened, that's not a good sign. Um, And again, I still stand by that Anakin and Padme's relationship was worse uh, because it was longer. Uh, There was more lying, more deceit. uh, And they kept trying to work, not even work through that, just forget about it. Um, versus, you know, Ray at the very least didn't have that, you know, intimate relationship that, you know, romantic relationship with, uh, Ben or Kylo Ren until the very end. Yeah. And I will say that, that, you know, I disapprove of it, but it was a fairly honest relationship. and, And that's maybe what makes it creepier is that, that he was honest about, he was pretty honest about manipulating her and pressuring her into various things and she was pretty honest about the fact that she was sort of willing to be pressured and they were pretty open with each other and they're just like but both of their sort of circumstances and men you know mental state was not good it was bad yeah they were not emotionally compatible they no yeah neither one could support the other uh, until it was basically time for them to die yeah it's sort of the opposite of han and leia where they were they were they were not the same they they had a lot of differences but their differences were all made their relationship worse instead of their differences making their relationship better yeah completely agree so but it ended up fine it's okay yes because he died so it's great yeah no that we're not celebrating love here are we that's cold yeah (laughs) yeah no that I just Look, love doesn't have to win every time. Like sometimes it's okay. Yeah, and it won in a lot of other instances. Yeah. Uh and, and one of those instances was Bail Organa and his wife, uh the Queen of Alderaan. Um she always wanted a little girl and then they got to raise one. Yeah. And that's like they're they're a pretty like they're a very um, you know, undertold story. But yeah, so Brea was the Queen of Alderaan. Um Bail is her prince consort. Uh, and therefore also the senator to the Galactic Republic because that's the way it works on Alderaan. And, you know, they grew up, um, you know, in the in the luxurious life of royals of a prosperous planet, um, and they were able to raise uh, a strong woman in Leia and do a lot of good. I mean, that not only did they, you know, did they raise her well, did they have a, they had a very healthy relationship by all accounts. They supported each other. You know, Brea managed to use her, help Bale use her resources for the rebellion. And not only for, you know, sort of the, the wartime footing of the rebellion, but diplomacy. They rescued a lot of people. There were a lot of um, refugees 
that lived on Alderaan. And then Alderaan also provided relief aid to many places that were being oppressed by the Empire. Um, sometimes they use that as subterfuge, as we see in uh, in Rebels. Uh, one of Leia's early missions for the Rebellion is like a fake Alderanian aid mission to Lothal, in which she's giving ships away to the Rebellion. But they like they did a they like they did a lot of good charitable works. Um, they loved each other. They raised a strong woman who ended up saving the galaxy. So good for them. Yeah. So you know, not every relationship's terrible. No. No. They did great. Yeah. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, my, what the, one theme that I'm realizing is that most of the most of the good, strong relationships end with a tragic, violent death at the hands of the Empire. Brea and Bale were both on Alderaan when it was destroyed by the Death Star. So, yeah. So, yeah. So let, let's talk about a few relationships that don't get much screen time, but, you know, either wrap things up in a nice little bow or, like I said earlier, we don't see a lot of diversity in the relationships, but we finally see a few of them in the most recent trilogy. And uh, we're introduced uh, to Rose Tico. And so she somehow falls in love with Finn. And no disrespect to him, but he tends to just be very selfish and focus on one thing. So I don't really know what it is that brought some, like, attraction out to her. But, I mean, he's not a bad guy. And, and you know, he's handsome, so that's good, too. Um, but Rose Tico falls in love with Finn. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if she, if uh, John Boyega was allowed to use his British accent, it would have been all over, no, no doubter. Um, he's even... still pretty easy on the eyes. Sure, good... but... You know. Yeah, but but you know, I'm look, I'm a I'm a person in the world. I know that a good-looking dude like him with a British accent is just unstoppable. <laughs> um, fair, fair. Yeah, but no, I guess Rose. You know, Rose sort of started her relationship with him in sort of a hero worship kind of context, and then she spent some time with him, and she helped him understand some of the like the evils of the galaxy, and she saw that understanding come from come into his mind. And she developed very strong feelings that were really not reciprocated by him at all. It was very right? one-sided. He was he was very interested in Ray, and Ray was not interested in him. There was a there was a very uh there was a very complex relationship dynamic going on in the, in that part of the trilogy where like Ray was interested in she was had a friend crush on on Finn but not really a romantic she was not really thinking romance at all until Ben comes into the picture Finn loved Ray Rose loved Finn Poe loved somebody I'm not really sure who um you know and it was all very sort of one directional right um but yeah Rose and then Rose sort of culminated her love in um what I think is the one of the more disappointing parts of episode 8 where in the final battle, Finn is about to complete his hero's journey and ram this Death Star laser battering ram thing, sacrifice it, finally recognizing that he could sacrifice himself for the resistance. And she slams her ship out of nowhere into his, almost killing herself and says, you know, it's not about killing the ones we hate. It's about saving the ones we love. And I'm like, cool, but now you're all going to die. So that was a good choice. And yeah, she's, you know, uh, and this is, again, I just want to put the caveat out there because I know there were a lot of personal attacks about the actress that played her and everything. And this has nothing, I have nothing to do with that. But I think her character is a fool in love and um, her relationship with Finn is a little wild. Agreed. But I will say on the positive, it's nice to see diversity re represented in a relationship, um, albeit, unfortunately, an unhealthy one. Yeah, that's fair. Um, we've also... Uh, 
I mean, we've talked about dozens of relationships here, but we finally have a same-sex couple in a galaxy far, far away. Um, and maybe there were others, they just got zero screen time. Um, but there is a, a brief uh, kiss at the end of episode nine. Yeah, and it's, um, I can't remember, that you do you have the names written down? I do, okay. Commander Darcy and Lieutenant Robriets. Yeah, so Commander Darcy is... Uh, shows up a few times in the uh, in the sequel trilogy. She's kind of a, a middle-aged woman, has a very British look about her, and um, she, um, long pointy nose, uh, and she is one of Leia's sort of, um, you know, chief lieutenants. And then the other woman is, I believe, like an A-wing pilot or something. But during the celebration after the, their victory, uh, the two have share an on-screen kiss. And this was, you know, it was one of those things where it was a nod to uh, same-sex diversity in Star Wars because it really hadn't been addressed. But it was also, I'm going to quote uh, John Lovett in that, you know, when, when going into the movie, there was a rumor that, this, that there was some same-sex relationship. And he's like, please don't let it be a five-second kiss during the big celebration after the battle. And then that's what it was. And he was like, I mean, great. Thanks for including that, but could it not have been like a actual relationship where we knew the names of the characters at all, maybe ever? Right. And I I think this is just one of those things that, you know, it was a step towards progress, but it wasn't quite enough. And as we continue to see new Star Wars content generated, hopefully we'll see meaningful relationships from same-sex couples, more diversity and inclusion in those relationships. And I, I think, you know, just have it be to the point where hopefully one day we don't even mention it. It just becomes super normal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, good on them to have, you know, you got to start somewhere. A step is a step and it's great. Agreed. Agreed. We needed it because we hadn't had any of that beforehand. Um, and then uh, just basically one last failed relationship to talk about or, or a relationship that never really even started was our our good friend uh, the Mandalorian um in the episode the sanctuary of the Mandalorian. Yeah, this was a real sort of turning point for him as a character and for the show where he found this planet where, you know, he he turned up there him and baby Yoda. This is after he's got baby Yoda and um you know, they they spend some time in a village uh, hiding out and they help the villagers defeat some like raider pirates that are attacking them. And there's peace in the village. And he realizes that he could maybe stay there and spend some time there. And, um, and then, you know, he gets so close to even almost letting her take his helmet off. Right. And which would have been like his final, like he'd have to give up his Mandalorian identity and everything. And just at the last minute, it doesn't work out for him. And that's, Maybe sad for him, great for us, because we got more Mandalorian out of it. Like, I think pretty much if she had taken that helmet off, that would have been it. And that show, show's over. We're just going to hang out here for a while. But um, Just watch Baby Yoda eat frogs and drink tea. Yeah, which may I have would been watch a, that. You would, just, you would watch that show for hours. Just Baby Yoda wandering around playing soccer with other kids and drinking tea. Yes, yeah. I would watch that okay. every week. So maybe that was that would have been a better choice for them. But instead... This relationship didn't work out. He decides that his sort of bounty hunting Mandalorian religion and uh, protecting Baby Yoda was more important and uh, passed on that. Yeah, and it is sad, but it does give us hope that he will hopefully find a healthy relationship in the future. 
um the fact that his helmet's already been taken off in uh the final episode of season one means that you know he's not completely adverse to having it come off at some point so we'll have to see where that goes and you know see if he's able to open up his heart too yeah to be fair his helmet was taken off by a non-living so yeah, no, and it was a life or death situation. So I, I'm not expecting it in episode one of season two. Right. But um, speaking of non-living, we haven't really talked about any of the relationships that involve droids. Probably the one that's a little bit more in line with what we're talking about is um, is Lando and L3. Oh, yeah, that is a romantic relationship. Yeah. Maybe one-sided, maybe not. It's it's unrequited, right? But... um. Right. It, and, and this is this is again in uh, in Solo uh, Lando and his co-pilot is a is a droid who presents as female. And um, she talks about because she has a little interlude with Kira when Kira and, you know, is Han is obviously still infatuated with Kira. Kira is not L3 talks to her and is like, you know, just between us, like, what are you going to do about that? And Kira's like, what would you know about it? And she's like, oh, Lando, you know, and, and evidently Lando is attracted to her and it's, you know, un, unreciprocated, but she has thought about it, but she decides that it would be too difficult on their business relationship. And it's a very interesting because it had never really been considered before is the idea that a droid and a human could have a physical relationship up to the point that Kira's like, how would that work? And L3 says, oh, it will yeah, and she, even though you guys can't see this because it's a podcast, she did whatever the droid equivalent of an eyebrow waggle would be, but yes. Yeah. Um. So, you know, just to kind of wrap this up with a few Legends relationships. So these are relationships that we see outside of Disney canon that have mostly been in books um, that came out, uh, you know, years ago. But I, I think that they are interesting and, and noteworthy. And the first is the difference between the Legends relationship of Han and Leia versus the canon relationship. Yeah, so in Legends, Han and Leia get married. Um, they're, uh, you know, the the story of their marriage is is interesting because Leia is being courted by this prince from another planet and Han has to overcome that and, you know, Han-style hijinks ensue. But they basically, they have a very strong marriage Um and they end up they end up having three children. They have twins named Jason and Jaina, and they have a third child named Anakin. Um, Anakin is extraordinarily strong with the Force, uh, as his namesake. Um, he dies in a war, um, and Jason and Jaina survive. Jason and Jaina end up. Uh, Jason turns to the dark side, names himself Darth Cadius, and is killed in duel with his own twin sister. Ouch. That's rough. And through it all, Han and Leia stay together. Um, through the in Legends, through the death of Chewbacca, Han becomes an alcoholic. Um, you know, goes through a lot of grief. Leia stays with him. She ends up being the president of the New Republic. So they have a very interesting dynamic. Uh, they go on a lot of adventures together. Um, and so their relationship is a little bit more involved in galactic politics than in the movies and is also uh, goes through a whole lot more uh, stress and strain than just having one kid turn to the dark side which is this is sort of the model for where ben solo came from was was the story of jason solo right so you know i i think that's interesting in that you know we see the broken up han and leia and in legends they stay together and, and that's uh you know i, I think what we'd like to think could and would happen is that 
you know, a couple that loves each other is going to stick through it uh, through thick and thin. Yeah. So we also get to see, I mean, to be fair in legends, a lot of the legend stuff takes place during the time in the movies where they are together that we just don't have any content for. Um, and cause it's, it's the years following the, you know, the battle of Endor and everything. So we get to sort of see them at the prime of their relationship. And when, you know, Leia's pregnant, Leia going off on adventures while pregnant is pretty wild. <laughs> she's got, she's got all of the, all the situations happening at the same time. Yeah. No bed rest for her. No, 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 no. no. Um, so what about Luke? How does he meet his wife? So Luke's Luke's story is is pretty wild. So Luke meets um, his wife. Uh, she is a uh, working for a smuggling group that she happens to run across him in a in a series of situations. And it turns out that she was the Emperor's hand, which was a super secret. She's a force sensitive person who was trained by the Emperor to be able to hear his commands across the galaxy. And as he died, he gave her a last, almost like a post-hypnotic suggestion to kill Luke Skywalker. And so when she first meets him, she spends a great deal of time trying to decide whether or not to kill him because at the time she needs him for certain things and and then, you know, whatever and stuff happens and whatever. And he's very compassionate toward her and he eventually draws her out and gets her to tell him his her story. He's a Jedi master at this point. And in the, you know, the sort of the story that goes on, she ends up uh, killing a clone of him. And by doing that, she is able to free herself of the sort of the emperor's last suggestion to her and then realizes that Luke's actually a pretty good guy. They end up falling in love and, uh, and getting married. Her name's Mara Jade. And so she continues working as a smuggler. Um, he continues, uh, his work as a Jedi master. And then when he establishes a Jedi school, she's one of his first, um, students. And so they together, they found a Jedi Academy and, um, and go on and, and, they're together for quite a long time. I think they have one child, if I remember right. Um, and then she ends up getting killed by, I believe, one of Luke, uh, one of uh, Han and Leia's kids. I think Jason ends up killing her. Right. And I, I think what's nice about that is that we've got this new generation of Jedi and Luke doesn't think that he can't have someone special in his life and still be a Jedi. So he's making forward progress within the Jedi Order and creating this new Jedi Order where it's okay to fall in love and have hopefully what's going to be a healthy relationship. I mean, obviously, it started in a very unhealthy way with, you know, the assassination attempts and whatnot. But, you know, where it winds up, I I think it is a good step for where the Jedi should be moving forward to. Yeah, it's one of the bigger disappointments from the, uh, the sequel trilogy and the way that they portray Jedi Master Luke Skywalker is that is that he's you know he apparently he tried to raise a generation of jedi and you know you know ben solo fails him and then he gives up but i really would have loved to see the luke skywalker version and hopefully ray is going to be that ray is going to reconstitute the jedi order in what you know what the legends canon started calling sort of the gray jedi which was you don't have to be a hundred percent perfect light side all the time. And it solves a lot of the problems that the Republic Jedi had around the rigidity of their beliefs and not having attachment and not having relationships. Like it's okay to have some relationships. It's okay to get to have emotion every once in a while. It's okay to get angry every once in a while. It's important that you learn how to contain and control it. 
and he has a lot more success that way. I mean, Luke loses a couple students, but to be fair, it's because he set up sets up on a planet that is inhabited by the ghost of a really, really powerful Sith Lord. And, you know, that's a hard thing to overcome. But once they sort of get over that and kill him, then he does much better. All right. So speaking of Sith Lords, uh, let's uh, finish up with one very unhealthy relationship. But actually, like there were elements of it that just kind of rung true. Um, Darth Bane, before he uh, dubbed himself Darth, he had a girlfriend at Sith school, basically. Uh, and her name was Githany. And Githany was a, uh, she basically flunked out of the Jedi Order. Yeah. Yeah, Bane, Bane and Githany was actually a really interesting relationship. And it gives, it makes Bane a very, you know, Bane is the, like, the epitome of Sith Lords. He's probably, in my opinion, the second greatest Sith Lord of all time. The first being um, Darth Sidious, who really, really, really got it. But Bane is the creator of the Rule of Two. And at the time that he was learning the dark side, the Sith was actually an empire. They had a whole bunch of Sith Lords. They did not have the Rule of Two. And so he was... He was found. He was in the Sith army. They determined that he was force sensitive. They sent him to Sith school on Korriban. He met Githany, who was a very promising, uh, very ambitious uh, Sith student who had flung, you know, she was basically a fallen Jedi. And um, they had a pretty healthy, you know, companion relationship. She helped get him up to speed. They managed some of the politics of Sithdom together. And um, it really, really looked like she was going to be his, like, his, you know, his partner for all time until the very end. Right, because ultimately the problem with the Sith is they're super into power. So, you know, she was super into Bane and he was super into her, but they were both super into power. And you, that's just a very, uh, it's not a mistress. It makes anyone else in your life the mistress to power. So that that was a failed relationship. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I, you know, in, and having read that, that story, I still wonder, cause she ends up, so Bane, um, in his, in his zeal to create the sort of rule of two and eliminate the Sith and the Jedi, he creates a thing called a thought bomb and he basically kills off the entire Sith and Jedi army all at once. And I still wonder if Githany had survived the thought bomb, she was pretty close to getting away from it. And if she had survived that and come back to him, if they wouldn't have had, you know, a long, a lasting partnership. But indeed, she did not survive the thought bomb. She was killed by it. And he took a different apprentice with which he had a little bit different and much less healthy relationship. Like, honestly, up until the point that, you know, he decided to kill everybody, Bane and Githany had a pretty good thing going on. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a decent amount of deceit between the two of them, but nowhere near Anakin and Padme. No, and so. like, and it was pretty on, it was pretty on the level for what they were, you know, what they were, I mean, they were, they were at Sith school, like you would expect some level of that. But th I think the most interesting thing about it was that they were deceptive, but they also both knew that each other were being deceptive. And so that was like sort of, it was priced into their relationship, right? It wasn't that like, one of them thought that they were both being super honest about everything. And then, you know, and then they were, what surprise, like you're, you're a liar. They were both like, they both kind of went into it knowing that they were ambitious liars. And so they worked, they, they worked that in. It's probably like the Conways. Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably. All yeah. right. That, that, that got real. That got real, real. real. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah. Um, you well, brought it back to 2020. Well, so. let's let's wrap up on one of my favorites, and we've already talked about it before, so I won't belabor the point. But it's Corin and Mirex, 
which is probably my second favorite relationship because it's the one that in a lot of ways I kind of, you know, if I had my sort of like fantasy story, the, the Han and Leia story is pretty good. Corn and Merrick's like, Corn is an all around good guy. He was raised, he was a good cop. His dad was a good cop. He um, got set up by the Imperials. He had to leave Corellia. He ended up joining the rebellion and he ends up uh, falling in love with the daughter of the smuggler that was his father's nemesis. It was a very Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. And they've got a pretty good thing. He, he has a lifelong weird love-hate relationship with his father-in-law, but Myrix is super smart. She's super talented. She's good at everything. Um, reminds me of my wife. And, um, and you know, he's just, he's kind of a dude who, who makes his way through. He ends up being a Jedi and he literally abandons his, when his wife gets kidnapped and put into stasis, he drops everything. He learns to be a Jedi. He leaves his entire life behind for months to try to find his way to get his wife back and ends up rescuing her. It's a thing that I, you know, hope I would never, ever have to do. But if I had to do, I hope that I would give it the dedication that he would. I'm sure that I would. And it's just one of the one of the better stories that that I love. So. All right. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, lots of relationships, lots of love. A lot of dysfunction, unfortunately, Um, I I guess, which just basically says to me that this galaxy far, far away is really no different than where we are today. Yeah. I mean, their stories are our stories and and, um, you know, not every relationship's perfect. There are some good ones. All of them have something that can be improved. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the only thing we don't really see is we don't see people have multiple relationships. They don't move on from one relationship to another, uh, with the exception maybe of Han, um, where where we see that. But, you know, that that's kind of the one thing that we don't really see a lot of. We don't see the, the before and the after. Uh, we, we see a little bit with some jealousy between Anakin and Padme, but that relationship's so dysfunctional to begin with. But, you know, I, I think, you know, as we move forward with future Star Wars content, I, I hope that we can get more development in that um, because you are my one and only, my, my Prince Charming, the, the Han to my Leia. Um, but I, I know that that's not necessarily the realistic portrayal of relationships. And I would like to see more that are uh, more realistic of, of what we see today. Yeah, I think that's. I'd also want to see more Baby Yoda. Always oh, more always Baby Always more Yoda. Baby Yoda. Sure. Of course. I love you. I know. <laughs>